You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP Family Nurse Practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. Hey, everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to this special episode where we're going to let you all listen to one of the very first episodes of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse that's been archived for quite some time on our Patreon account. The Bad Nurse story from this episode is one of the reasons I wanted to start a true crime podcast. Um, This story is so bizarre. I don't think I've heard of a creepier and just absolutely inexplicable story. So just wait till you hear this. Hey, by the way, our Patreon account is the special account you can access from our website for $5 a month, and you'll get access to all of our archived episodes, plus bonus content, and you'll be helping us to cover some of the production costs so we can keep bringing new episodes each week. All the PodCon recordings are on there, including videos from the PodCon. We also have the first couple of episodes from our CCRN study guide videos. Those are pretty cool. So go check that out at goodnursebadnurse.com and see what you think. And now here is Good Sojourner Truth nurse, bad nurse, Cindy James, with our original music. Y'all don't make fun of us too much. (laughs) Hello, everybody. This is Tina and Christina. And so are you really confused, people? I know you probably are because you're like, where is Sam? Well, Sam is in the middle of getting her master's degree, and I know that it's overwhelming and she's got a lot going on, so she is taking a couple of weeks off, so we've got a guest host with us this week. Hello, everyone. (laughs) I'm super excited to be here, although I miss Sam as well. Yeah. I miss hearing her voice on the podcast. Well, (laughs) I think it's going to be fine. uh, We're going to have fun. Christina is a new grad. She um, has been on working um, on the floor for about a year. Yes. So it's hard to believe it's been a year, but it's been a year. I can't believe it. And to all new nurses listening, you can do it. It is possible. Yeah. Although there were days when I wasn't so sure myself. <laughs> well, I think there will always be those days, though. Yes. As a nurse, you're always going to have those days when you question and doubt yourself. Fortunately, we have really good coworkers that yes. support us and managers that support us and team leaders and everything. So it's we work where we work is an awesome place. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. I can't be a nurse without all my fellow nurses. Yay! So I'm super happy to be part of the team. I think that's important. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to do what we usually do, which is kind of talk about a little uh, in the news segment first. So in the news, before we get into our little good nurse, bad nurse stories, but in the news this week, we found, Christina and I were just looking and found the most interesting article. (laughs) Oh my. Interesting is nicely put. I would say terrifying. (laughs) Oh, the picture is absolutely, I'm so scared. I didn't want to look at that picture. Basically, it's, we got this um, article on nurse.com. And it says, nurse acts quickly after decapitated rattlesnake bites husband. I can't even. I can't. Tina, I would be terrified. I'm just scared just reading that. <laughs> it says, um, Texas nurse jumped into professional mode after her husband was bitten by a rattlesnake minutes after he had cut off its head in their yard. What? Oh, my goodness. How did so, that happen? I think the story was that he... They had, they were preparing their yard for a barbecue okay. or something cookout of that nature. And he found a snake in their yard, which I'm from Texas actually, so it's not uncommon to find rattlesnakes. Okay. Um, thankfully, I've never come across one, but some of my friends have. And Ooh. apparently he was, I mean, trying to kill it, which is a good thing. You, you want those things gone. And you would think that chopping off the head would have been, <laughs> you know, a successful. Right. I think the key though is to, I mean, you want to put as much room between you and the snake as possible. Uh, and I, of course I wasn't there. So who knows? I, but I, I guess the head was flopping around or something. I don't. It's so hard to imagine. It's hard. I don't know. It says they flew him to um, the hospital and that he went into septic shock, uh, septic shock and had to be put into a medically induced coma. And as a nurse, I can't, that would be so terrifying. Yeah, because you mean, know what all is going on. Exactly. You know those, that terminology and how right. serious it really is. And I mean, I know the basics of first aid and I am a camp counselor sometimes for my church. So we have to go through things like what would happen, scenarios and snake bite included. But when it's someone close to you, mm. I just, it would be hard to jump into professional mode. So hats off to this nurse because... I feel like I don't know if I would have been able to respond as a nurse if it's someone that I'm really close to. My son hit his head a couple of years ago. Now, I was a brand spanking new nurse in my defense, (laughs) but he hit his head and he had a full-blown seizure, and I absolutely panicked. Like, I... And for a seizure, there's not a whole lot that you can do right. for a patient, you know, you, or for anybody. You kind of turn them on their side and let yes. it take its course. I remember just kind of everything going blank. Now, I hope after being, you know, after being a nurse for a while, maybe I would be a little bit more calm in that situation. But I, I, I feel like I don't, I don't know that I could have handled it the way she did. Right. With her husband's hand getting bit. Um, and the, there's pictures and stuff on this website. Uh, it shows his hand. Uh, oh, it shows the snake. Oh, goodness. Ugh. Wow. And oh. it says um, he's still recovering. He actually went into acute renal failure because, I guess, of the sepsis. Um, right. And, and he it also says he received an unusually high amount of antivenom. Oh, right. I think they said 26 doses, was it? Um, usually a snake bite only requires two to four. So this was a very severe bite, or maybe there was a lot of venom injected. Yeah, it does. It says he, he received a total of 26 doses of antivenom. Yeah, and usually just two to four. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Wow. I mean, so. I don't know. That's just, that's crazy to me. I feel like that as a nurse, that is 
a worst case scenario because in the at least working bedside in the hospital, we have resources that we can always call on. Um, if something happens, even unexpectedly, we're part of a team. But mm-hmm. I feel like if you're out in you know public or at home, you don't have those resources. So you may have the knowledge, mm-hmm. but you may not be able to act on that knowledge. True. That's true. And you just feel helpless. Right. Well, I think he's doing much better now. It talks about in this article how to care for rattlesnake bites and gives some information. So that's actually some really good information. If you guys want to know, just go to nurse.com and look up this story. It's really fascinating. So that's the in the news section. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I have the bad nurse story. I guess I'm being the bad nurse and I'm going to tell kind of the darker story. So we're not going to always tell nurses, nurse stories, because at some point in the future, what we would like to do is to start incorporating some of those stories, maybe some doctor stories. Ooh, that would be so interesting. Medical professional stories. Yes. Period. But this week I do have a, it is a nurse. And I want to just kind of qualify it a little bit because I'm not saying that this nurse is bad, but this is the darker story. So I don't want to put, Mm. we try to put the the lighter story at the end so that... You know, you end on a good note. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I confessed to Tina last week that I was listening to one of the earlier episodes and I could not go to sleep after I finished <laughs> listening to it. Uh, I think because as a nurse, especially, I, I feel like the majority of us, of course, take our profession so seriously and just the thought of that trust that we have between our patients and their families being mm-hmm. broken, even by, you know, some story in the news is just disheartening. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> on the other hand, it's also very interesting because I had never heard a lot of these stories before I started listening to your pad- podcast. And yeah. I, I unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, <laughs> find it very entertaining. <laughs> I think they're entertaining and they're interesting. You yes. Know, I, I like... I like to tell stories that kind of, and listen to stories that have lots of twists and turns and kind of like bizarre moments where you're yes. like, I can't believe that happened. Um, so this story definitely has a lot of that. It's it's uh, quite bizarre. Um, it is the story of Cindy James. This happened back in the 80s. Not that long ago. No. And I always struggle. <laughs> I feel like I was uh, him and Hall at the, at the beginning trying to figure out where to get started. But I want to tell you where she ended up, and then we'll go back and talk about how she got there, and maybe oh. see if we can figure out how she got there, Okay, it's a little bit of a mystery. Wow. So, Cindy- oh, I love mysteries. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so buckle your seatbelts, Christina. This is going to be a little bit of a wild ride. So on May 25th, 1989, okay, 44-year-old Cindy James, who was a nurse, went missing. Oh, that she- is so terrifying. I know. It is scary. She uh, was from Vancouver, uh, Canada, and her car, so she's missing. Her car is found in a shopping mall parking lot, hmm. and there was blood on the driver's side door, and there were items from her wallet found under the car. Oh, my goodness. I know. So we're not starting out real strong no. for Cindy. <laughs> 13 days later, they found her in the yard of an abandoned house. About a mile and a half from where her car was parked, and she had been drugged and strangled, and her hands were and feet were tied behind her back. Now, I don't normally like to get too deep into details of like really kind of you know gory, hor- horrific murders, right. you know. But what's so bizarre about this 
is that even though she had been she had been drugged and she was strangled and like I said hands and feet tied behind her back a black nylon stocking tied around her neck and and the autopsy actually revealed that she died from an overdose of morphine and other drugs but in spite of that and the way she was found hmm. the Royal Canadian Mounted Police or the Mounties yes and of course my brain automatically thinks of Bullwinkle but I think it's so bad. <laughs> They said that they thought that her death was an accident. What? Or suicide. No. <laughs> so that, so there we go. Here we go on the roller coaster ride of oh, Cindy James. It's my goodness. so crazy. So the Vancouver coroner ruled that her death was not a suicide, an accident, or a murder, but claimed that she died of a, quote, unknown event. What? So there really was just basically the coroner said, I don't know. The police said it was either an accident or she, she did this to herself. Oh, my goodness. Let's go all the way back and kind of tell you how why in the world the, the police would be thinking this in the first place. Because there there are some strange things that happened to her over the past several years leading up to her death. She had graduated from nursing school in 1966. She was the administrator for a preschool for children with that had uh, behavioral and emotional problems. They, she didn't have any kids of her own, she and her husband. But then, uh, and I don't know how long they were married, but she and her husband separated and went through a divorce. But four months after they separated, she started getting these weird phone calls, sort of like they would either just be quiet, not say anything. Sometimes they would say some threatening things. And over the next seven years, she reported all sorts of weird incidents of harassment. Wait, seven years? Mm -hmm. This went on for seven years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She had all these different things happen. Like, people would call and, like, whisper on the phone. There would be just sometimes it would be silent, hang up. She called the police. The police would come over and serve, like do surveillance on her house, and then nothing would happen. No phone calls would happen. You know, things like that. So the police started kind of wondering, okay, is she doing this herself? You know, that kind of thing. Um, she would like hear hear somebody at night, and her porch light would be just just different things. Notes appearing on her doorstep. She just thought somebody was trying to scare her. She didn't even think someone was trying to necessarily kill her because they would do these odd things. She had a friend named Agnes. Um, and one night, Agnes came by for a visit and knocked on the door. And when nobody answered, she thought, well, she must be, you know, taking a bath or something. She knew she was there, but she didn't answer. So she thought, well, she kind of was trying to look around the house, figure out, you know, what's going sure. on. Why is she not hearing me or answering the, the door? Right. She found her outside, and she was kind of crouched down. She had a, a nylon stocking tied around her neck, um, and she told Agnes that she had gone out to the garage to get a box. Like I think she was maybe moving or something, uh -huh. and she had gone out to the garage to get a box, and someone grabbed her from behind. <gasps> oh, my goodness. <laughs> no. Yes. And she said all she saw were white sneakers. So she saw white shoes, and that was it. She did not see a face, so she had no way of knowing who it was. The police didn't believe her after that? Well, I guess not because, I mean, I don't know, maybe at first, but I think that several of these incidents they just kept happening, and they never could find any real evidence of a person being there. Had they never heard of video surveillance? Yeah, well, <laughs> no. I don't, anyways. This, well, it could, yeah, they, surely they could have, you know. I mean, or uh, at least maybe she could have. I don't yeah. know. 
Well, I'm not I sure. Just, as a single woman living yeah. alone, I, if anything like that happened even one time, mm-hmm. that would. And I think nowadays it's probably, it would be easier to do that than maybe in the 80s it sure, would have been. It's, that's true. They had video, you know, camera recording capabilities, certainly. But I'm sure it probably wouldn't have been easy to do that or or, or cheap, you know. Sure, you're right. Kind yeah. of expensive. So she moved to a new house. She painted her car. She changed her last name. Oh, my goodness. She did all this stuff. Her family were, were just distraught for her and so worried about her. She hired a private investigator. Her, the private Ooh. investigator's name was Ozzy Caban. And the police continued to investigate as well. They would question her. I'm just telling you the story the way I, because I did a lot of research on this and watched several videos about it and looked at different perspectives on it. And people have all sorts of ideas about what could have possibly happened to her or whether or not she was telling the truth or not. Some people don't think that she was telling the truth. So this is still unsolved to right. this day. It's oh kind my, of an unsolved wow. mystery. But okay, sorry. Did yeah. no one suspect her ex-husband? I mean, yeah, that, that would be a primary target. Is that not where we think. all go? I mean... You just want to go, um, excuse me, <laughs> did anybody... <laughs> Like, you just want to go I back mean, to 1989 and right? go, you guys, the husband. And the interesting thing about the husband is he was a psychiatrist. Oh, my. <laughs> so oh he would my. have had access to morphine. Right. You know, that sort of thing. All those drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, she hired the private investigator, Ozzy. Ozzy did say that he felt like whenever she would be interviewed by the police that she wouldn't always give all of the details. Some mm. of her family thinks that the reason she was so sort of held back some of the details they or that she would be sort of you know cryptic and reluctant yes and some of the family thinks that whoever this was had threatened that if she gave too much detail that they would hurt her family and so they think that she was deliberately not giving all of the information because she was afraid something would happen to her family so that's that's one theory about that. Apparently, the the private investigator one night heard strange sounds coming um, over a two way radio because he had given her a two way radio so that he could kind of like monitor her. Okay. So he starts hearing some odd sounds coming through there, and he went over to her house and went around the house and found that it was locked. Looking through a he look kind of looked through a window. He saw her laying on the floor. And she had a knife through her hand. Now, it wasn't oh. like a big knife. It was like a paring knife, one that you would use to just kind of like peel an apple or something with. Just kind of odd. That is odd. And it stuck through her hand. And then she went to the hospital. And then she said that later she remembered being attacked. And she remembered somebody putting a needle in her arm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She was apparently out of it when this when this was going on. She was completely out of it. Um, when he found her, when the private private investigator found her, it's uh, the private investigators uh, say that the police didn't take fingerprints and they really didn't have any way to corroborate, you know, what was going, what had gone on. And it says that um, the story, you know, the the different stories, the accounts say that she would sometimes say that there were like two people, 
So sometimes there was one person, sometimes there was two. So her story would change. Or maybe or she sometimes maybe there, there were she felt like there, there was two people there, you know. But the police would come by and do 24-hour surveillance at her house and nothing ever happened. Like all these strange things that happened, nothing ever happened when the police were there. But my thing is when I was reading it, I thought, well, then of course it wouldn't. Right. Because if, a, I mean, I don't know, maybe they had unmarked cars or whatnot. But, but still, even still, a if someone is watching yeah. you, they would know that's out of your routine. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do something. Especially if they, if they suspect that the police are already involved. That's what I'm thinking. Like if... I don't know that there's any way the police could have been watching that house that somebody who was also trying, you know, who was doing this would not have known that they were watching the house. Right. Because if you see an unmarked car, you're just going to automatically suspect that. I would think so. (laughs) And you just pick right back up whenever they're gone. Yes. So just trying to give her the benefit of the doubt with this. Because remember the way she was found when she died. I mean, that's uh, that's what I keep going back to. Wait, what about that? Right. How could that be an accident? Yes. Uh, it says that the police did begin to, uh, you know, become um, skeptical. And her parents believed her that the attacker, not only was he staying away because he didn't want to get caught, but he also deliberately was toying with them and toying with, with Cindy because they wanted to make her look like she was crazy. So they, the, the attacker would deliberately like not call whenever there was somebody there and you know, that sort of thing. So her family was 100% behind her. Another incident that happened, she was found lying in a ditch about six miles from her house. She was kind of like semi-conscious in the ditch. She had a work a uh, workman's uh, like a work boot on and a glove. She was suffering from severe hypothermia. She had cuts and bruises all over her body, and she had that black nylon stocking tied around her neck. Um, and she couldn't remember anything. She had no idea how she got. They just found her lying in the ditch like this. And oh she my just, goodness! Yeah, that sounds like a warning to me. Yeah. Well, more than a warning. I mean, all this I other mean, stuff going on, and then this happens. Why would you do that to yourself? Right. Exactly. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. And, oh, wow. Yeah. How terrifying. But, goodness, I feel like at that point I would have moved into an armed fortress. <laughs> or at least across the country. I know. I mean, well. Completely away. But right. she, she's got her family there, you know, yeah. and she's single, no children. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be pretty lonely to just kind right. of move away from, like, almost like the witness protection program kind of thing where you just completely drop <laughs> off the true. face of the earth, you That's know? That's true. That would be so hard. So, one night, Agnes, her friend who came over and found her, you know, with the, uh, outside. Right. I'm just trying to keep track of the story. So, she was found twice already yeah. with nylon stockings around her neck. Yeah. Let's see. She didn't have the nylon stocking when, she, when they found her with the paring knife through the hand. Right. But right? in the garage. Okay. The, in the garage and then, and then on the side of the road. Yes. Okay. And then she had the paring knife issue. So this, these are like three things that major things that have happened. And now Agnes uh, and her husband decide, well, we're going to go spend the night with you and just be there with you at the house and, you know, to comfort her and make, you know, give her some security while they're there. They heard some noises and they wake up and they see the basement is completely on fire and the phone was completely dead. Of course. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. 
You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field, offering a 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet and I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well-known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC-free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products, greater than 1,000 milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD Stat, in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So Tom leaves to go tell the neighbors and, and when he runs out the door to go get help, to call for help, he saw a man standing like at the curb, like looking at the house. No. Cool. I mean, you just get chills. That's so creepy. He's standing there and he yells at him like, hey, go get help. I need, you know, I need, we need help. And the man just just took off Mm -hmm. and they never saw that man again. So it's kind of, I don't know, that just like, wow. I mean, you could look at that like, well, maybe he did run off and get help or maybe he's at the fire and he's standing there watching it. Right. (laughs) Option two, more likely. So, um, of course, the police think that Cindy did it herself. Even with her friends there? Yes. The police are like, well, you could have set that fire and deliberately made noise to wake them up. They didn't find any fingerprints 
and there was nowhere the the house was locked up and there was nowhere that someone could get in to the house and the, there was one there was like a window in the basement and the there was some dust on the like windowsill mm-hmm. and it had not been disturbed at all so there was really no way that somebody could have come through there set a fire come back out and not disturb the dust right. on the windowsill so they're mm-hmm. just like how'd they get in well, how did they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of asking myself, that's why I said it was a roller coaster. Wow. Because it is very bizarre. So it's odd that this happened. And then also, Cindy would like go out and walk her dog. What? Yeah. I would not be. I know. I I, I don't know. I don't know whether I'd want to stay in the house or stay completely away from it. I'm I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, I don't know that I would just be 100% comfortable walking my dog. No. For sure. When, like, going outside to, when she had moved and going outside to, to get the boxes, like, what is she doing out there? Right. <laughs> but she, her thing was that she wasn't going to let them control her life, and she was just doing her thing and not, you know, she was just... Well, good for her. I don't know, but still. But still. I, I just kind of... Uh, I mean, that, well, I mean, that is interesting. That's, I, at first I was thinking that, well, people are... A little bit crazy if they're thinking that she did this to herself, but now I'm, I'm like, well, I mean, I do see their point. I mean, there's just I can see so why they would question why they would question it. Yes, it, not saying that she did do that. Yeah, because it's just it's not it. Some of the stuff is so bizarre, but I guess well, well her actions are what probably the the most disturbing. The fact that she would just walk her dog freely or go right. in, in moving in and out in the dark at her house and things like that. It's just. But I guess if somebody was trying to make her look crazy, then some of the other things, you know, you you would think they would they would go to extra lengths to you sure. know be sure and try to make it look that way, right? So her doctor ended up having her committed into a psychiatric ward. Hmm. We don't really have those today, do we? Because we got all of that kind of funding cut from all of the right. mental health care. True, sadly enough. Oh, I mean, this is that was in Canada, right? So oh, true. Maybe. Well, and this was in the 80s. 80s true. So we had them here. We, we and then, did. so they thought that uh, she was, they thought she was afraid she was becoming suicidal. So they they said, you need to go spend some time here, recuperate, let, let's kind of work out what's going on and let somebody evaluate you. And so she stayed there for 10 weeks. That's a long time. It is. That's a very long time. She left the hospital and she said that she did tell her family, that she knew more than what she was actually saying. And she indicated that she felt like she was going to have to go after this guy herself. So No, I, Cindy. No. no. Please no. don't. Don't do that. <laughs> That's not good. You're just going to win. You are not making good life decisions. No. <laughs> and especially if she knew more, she needed to release that information. Mm-hmm. Although... Maybe if someone was threatening her family, mm-hmm. her friends. I personally am very close to my family. So if someone threatened them, I know that I would probably not make the best decisions. Yeah. If I thought I was protecting them. Yeah. I don't I don't know though, because I've always been um, quick to release what information I know. Right. You know. And she went to the police, but maybe she was just trying to do the a kind of a balancing where she's like asking for their help while not trying to compromise 
you know, her family and just like, you guys do your job and that right. I, I can't get involved in this or I'm going to, you know, and putting them in danger. I mean, well, here, really going out on a limb, if she, you know, if her attacker or whoever was doing this was her ex-husband and maybe she felt like she had to protect him mm-hmm. or maybe she felt somewhat safe, like meaning like maybe he wouldn't actually yeah. kill her. Yeah. I, I don't know. I know sometimes just, you know, studying in our nurse, our nursing courses in nursing school, we learn about, you know, the cycle of abuse and abusers and how they really manipulate people and make them believe things that are just, we look at it from the outside and think that's bizarre, yeah. but who knows? Mm. I mean, that's true. That's a good way of looking at it. Maybe uh, that sort of victim syndrome right? where she's just thinking, oh, they just want to scare me. They're not going to really hurt me. Right. Then, you know, after all this happens, of course, um, she ends up getting, they going missing mm-hmm. and they do find her, you know. So wait, how long was that? Well, I mean... Like I said, it went over a period of like seven years. Oh my goodness! That she, this all these bizarre things would happen, and she moved, and she went to a mental, you know, ward, and she hired a private investigator. Just all these things. She was just going through, you know, a lot. Of, yes. Over seven years. Wow, that's incredible. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, it's just bizarre. Well, the thing is, they did a. They had an expert at tying knots come in and they, that person showed that you could actually tie your, tie your hands behind your back within a matter of, I guess, a few minutes, a couple minutes, you could tie your hands behind your own hands behind your back the way she was tied. There was something about you tie them and then you put, I guess you put your legs through through or something. I'm not sure what they did, but they showed that it could be done. And so they thought, well, if this guy says it can be done, and clearly he just demonstrated it, maybe she figured out how to do it. The thing is, she did have all that morphine in her system. So where's the morphine? Where's the syringes? She's laying in an abandoned. The house that she was found at, you know, in the yard, it's an abandoned house. And a lot of, uh, apparently a lot of teenagers would go and have parties there Hmm. pretty frequently. So they found it kind of odd that... If her body had been laying there for 13 days. No one had found it. Yeah, right. That seemed odd. So yes. did her body get moved? Was she somewhere? If she had did if she did it herself, where is she all these time all this right. time? And then she um so a lot of questions uh surrounding this whole story. Um and the thing is, her husband, okay, so I've kind of left this little uh twisty thing till the end. <laughs> I was I'm waiting. Her husband had, a, a, I guess, a, a partnership with another doctor. For one thing, she had, well, this this doctor had, had, since all this happened, had been charged and convicted of sexual abuse on one of his patients with new, like, and then after that happened, several others came forward and complained about him. So he had been convicted of this. She, one of the stories that she told was that, she woke up at some point and she saw her husband and another man like chopping up a body. No. Yeah. So her, she's, Ugh. I mean, her husband was never, you know, convicted or anything or accused or anything of doing something like that, but it does seem a little odd right. that she had that vision. And then later on, 
another man who was sort of connected with him ends up being convicted of sexually abusing one of his patients. It just seems weird. Yes. And especially if she herself was drugged mm-hmm. multiple times. Yes. Someone would have to know how to do that. Right. And he and her husband was a doctor. And her husband, too, um, there was also something uh, where he had he was trying to develop some way uh, something about uh, morphine addiction her husband was working with that with like with his patients or something I can't remember exactly what that was but there he had something that he was working with that had to do with morphine addiction because he was a psychiatrist hmm. and I don't know some of that stuff it's just kind of like well that's just sort of out there right weird circumstantial it doesn't really matter but it it's just weird I mean all this stuff right. is strange it is. So I don't know how to really, you can't really explain what happened. No. I mean, did her private investigator ever find anything? The private investigator, I think, believes her with all that, you know, he spent a long time right, um, dealing with her and investigating the whole situation. And I do think he believed her. There was a police officer who, at the beginning of this all happening, was investigating everything. And at some point... He kind of like started staying at her house overnight uh-huh. and to quote, I guess, survey, surveil, you know, like the house. Uh-huh. They end up in a relationship oh, or some sort of, you know, they were very close, I guess. Okay. So, and then, then they end up, you know, so that, that's odd. That is odd. Because some people think that it, that who, if, if it was not her, if it was not her that was kind of masterminding all of this stuff, that there, whoever it is, had to be somebody like on the police force or someone somehow connected to the police. Hmm. Because in order to know, like, how do you get into a house without looking like it's been broken into? And right. I don't know, just knowing when not to be there when they're being, you know, sure. surveillance is being done and that sort of thing. Um, so I think he kind of came under some suspicion and then her husband, there was there, if you go on YouTube and look up Cindy James nine or uh, Cindy James, um, voice, let's see, record or what are those answering machine called? Yes. It is the creepiest thing I have ever heard. Oh it, my goodness. Yeah. It's <laughs> awful. It, you can hear one of the recordings some, where somebody called, I think it's where somebody called her husband and left a message on the answering machine. And it just, it's like, I can't even do it. But it sounds like, to me, it sounds like mm-hmm. a woman's voice. Huh. Uh, trying to disguise their voice. And it's saying, basically, it says, I think it says something like, die, Cindy, or something like that. Oh. It's the wow. creepiest thing you've that ever is heard. so creepy. <laughs> So that's oh, there. I'm getting chills. I know. So he, so somebody's mm. leaving creepy messages on his answering machine. So not just hers. Not just hers, but it sounds like a female voice. I don't know what to do with all this. I right. thought it was just a fascinating story. Right. If I mean, if we're going to even argue the other way and say it was a suicide, then you know what was her motive and why drag it out for so long? And I mean, seven years. It just that to me. It, it, I don't. I mean, I don't know much about mental health other than my brief nurses training of course but that just seems so unlikely it's, i don't know and pat, uh, pat mcbride i believe was the name of 
one of the detectives. He may have even been the name of the detective that she, you know, kind of got close to. He It says he was present for several of the calls that she received. So if he was standing right there when the phone rang, but never, he was never there when she received a call and someone actually talked. Only when the phone just rang. <laughs> wow. So there's that. And it says that at least four phone calls were traced by the phone company, but they were too short to trace anything, but just the exchange, I guess. And so they were able to, to determine that the exchange uh, on three of the four calls and all came from different exchanges. So, mm. like different places, I guess. Okay. I mean, who understands all the ins and outs of the phone company? Because we don't even have, we don't even use those types of phones no. much anymore. No. You guys are talking. We need to we need to be talking about cellular phone <laughs> pings of towers. Then we know what you're talking about. This is too. <laughs> you're going way back in the ancient days of telephones. Now, telephones and answering machines. <laughs> <laughs> what? An answering what? <laughs> what did it do? <laughs> it did say that one of the detectives, Detective Boyer Smith, or Smythe, I don't know how you pronounce that, mm. he actually answered the phone when nobody, and there, the phone rang and nobody said anything. So, I mean, to me, it's like, there would have had to have been somebody in on that. Right. Like, and how, if she was the one who was doing it, then I, how would, anyways, I just... There's so many ins and outs to this. Yeah. I don't know, but I feel like how would she be able... To make the phone ring. Yeah, to make the phone ring. <laughs> She's I mean, unless, standing right there. <laughs> unless she had like an accomplice or something. Well, <laughs> some people speculate that her mom would maybe have been in on it with her a little bit, maybe. And and one thing, because I thought, why? why? Why would she do that? Right. One thing I could see happening would be, they don't believe me. They think this isn't happening. So, mom, you call... And hang up, and at least they will take me seriously because they hear of the phone ring. Because I'm, you can't make the person, the person whoever's really doing it, you can't make them call. That's they, true. They don't believe me. You believe me, so you do it so that, the, you know, they will mm. maybe believe me because you're actually getting right a phone call. Mm. And I'm standing right here. <laughs> wow. But I mean, that's just incredible. If her family, her friends, and the private investigator. Yeah all agree that she was murdered. Mm -hmm. They all believe her. Wow. I, I feel like that says a lot. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. But. Well, that's pretty much the story. Uh, there's not a whole lot left to tell. She had a younger sister at the time. I want to say she was maybe, she was several years younger than her. And now I think just in the past few years, I think she wrote a book about it and she's Aww. really yeah it's sad that i mean it's really just, sad the sad thing is it's like okay what are the options here either right. either she got a divorce or her you know she separated from her husband which was by all accounts amicable and it was mm -hmm. fine but she was either so upset about that and distraught that she started creating this situation to try to get attention and it just got out of control and she didn't know how to stop it and maybe she got addicted to the attention and she just continued to these elaborate schemes and pulled her mom in to help her at different times maybe that that's i guess an option sure Another option would be if she was mentally ill and she was doing things and didn't even know she was doing it. That That is actually... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, not likely, but possible. It's definitely it possible. possible. Like she was completely going into some other, you know, mindset. Right. 
And she just didn't even realize what she was like, doing. Is it split personality disorder? Yeah, is that I think now or? they call it, um, oh, what is it? Oh, you guys are all out there kind of yelling at us what it is. I can't I can't think of it. They changed the name of it. It's not multiple personality disorder anymore. Oh. But I, I can't remember. It could be something like a that. A situation like that where she's just maybe she was traumatized. There was no real indication that she had been traumatized or anything though. Hmm. Uh, but still could could be an option. There's the option that it that's her husband was just messing with her somehow. That's definitely an option. It could have could yeah. have been. And then obviously there could be some unknown person out there that was just doing all of this and just completely. Unrelated. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's the most terrifying option, I, I think. I know. Uh. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So, you know, I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes this stethoscope so amazing. Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So that's the bad nurse story. Thank you for sharing, Tina. So you get to end on the good note and tell us a nice story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm glad you actually began with bringing it back to the very, very beginning where you're talking about how we wanted to feature more stories, not necessarily just about nurses. Mm -hmm. Um, So this particular um, nurse, it was actually not primarily a nurse, and I'm sure um, most everyone is familiar with Sojourner Truth. Yay. Yay. I I love history, so I had to choose someone historical. (laughs) I I don't know a whole lot about her, but I know enough that I I picture – this little spitfire woman who went around just changing, you know, <laughs> changing the world yes. and changing minds. Right. And actually, I think that is a very fair description. Um, so from the research that I did on her, 
a lot of what is known about her is, or what I should say, what is thought to be known about her can't actually really be verified. Hmm. So it's like passed down by word of mouth. Her family wrote it down. Hmm. Um, But she herself was illiterate. Um, so she never actually learned how to read and write wow. um, from the research that I did. You all out there may have heard something different. Maybe mm-hmm. your history books say something different than my history books. Mm. So feel free to comment and you know clarify things if um, if you are like, hey, I really don't think that's right, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Okay. So um, Sojourner Truth was actually born as Isabella Bomfrey. That was her given name. Um, no one actually knows the year that she was born, although they think she was born in 1797. Wow. Um, so a while back. And she was born in New York, which is something that I didn't realize. And she was one of 12 children. So her father was, um, well, her father and mother were both um, slaves. Her father had actually come across on a slave ship from wow. um, present-day Ghana. But her mother had been born in the U.S. to slavery, into slavery. And as I said, they were, she was born in New York. Her family actually grew up speaking Dutch. So Dutch was her first language because in that part of New York, it was a Dutch colony originally. She had a very rough start in life, but... Um, she made the best uh, of her life with what she had, definitely. Yeah, sounds like so, it. So, um, of course, she's most famous for her, quote, ain't I a woman speech, unquote, mm-hmm. which is actually, I found some interesting comment, commentary on that. It is unlikely that she actually used that particular phrase, ain't I a woman. Really? Um, it's something that a lot of people connect with the South, where yeah. we're, we're from. Uh, ain't I a woman, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it seems more authentic. It seems more authentic that way. And um, But it, it they, historians say it's very unlikely that she actually used that phrase because she was from the North, actually, from New York. And right. English was her second language. So yeah. she would never have been exposed to that. But that makes sense. Yes. But isn't that interesting? Yes. I mean, what she's most famous for. Um, and actually... The speech wasn't actually recorded at the time. It was published a few days later from um, someone's notes, is my understanding. Oh. So um, maybe they wanted to embellish it or, you know, maybe just passing Surely it down. Surely not. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, does uh, maybe she said, am I not a woman? And they thought, I don't know what they thought. I don't know why they would want to change it. Hmm. Maybe she did say it. I, I don't know. But anyways, that's what she's most famous for is that speech. And of course, being an abolitionist and a a woman's rights activist, but she did so much more. Hmm. Um, So she uh, was sold from her family at the age of nine. She was sold multiple times during her life before she escaped to freedom. So she lived with different masters or different families uh, growing up. And so she didn't actually learn English until the age 11 is when they think around that time when she moved, when she was sold to an English speaking family. Oh, okay. So at approximately 1815, and again, these dates are approximations because no one really knows, Mm -hmm. which would have put her about 18 years old. She allegedly fell in love with a slave um, on a neighboring farm, a young man named Robert, and I was reading different stories. Most of them said that she had a daughter with this man, mm-hmm. but some sources said that it's unknown. They don't know whether he was actually the father of this child. Mm-hmm. But oh, either way, around that time, she ended up having a daughter. But Robert's master, he forbid their relationship because uh. he wouldn't 
own any of their children. Oh, yes. I'm getting so mad right now. I can't even. I just can't imagine that. I mean, here's this young woman. I mean, already just so limited in Mm. her, in her capability, uh, Mm. you know, to do anything. And then, you know, she's forbidden to marry the person that she loves. And anyways, it just, my heart just went out to her. But two years later, her present master compelled her to marry an older slave named Thomas. They for sure had um, three children together, a son and then two other daughters. Um, So that was in 1817. So nine years later, she escapes to freedom with her daughter, one daughter, Sophia. Mm. And the best story that I could gather about how that happened was her master promised her her freedom. Mm -hmm. And New York being a um, very progressive state, even in the early 1800s, was already beginning a movement to abolish slavery. Mm. Um, So it was around that time that her master promised her freedom. And then when the um, council decided not to abolish slavery that particular session or year, Mm -hmm. he revoked his statement and said, no, I'm not going to grant your freedom. So it seemed more of like a political move than anything else. And so she decided to run away at that point um, because she wanted to make a better life for herself and her Mm -hmm. children, which you're a mom. So I'm sure you can relate to that. (laughs) Anyways, and she only could take one daughter, her, um, her youngest Sophia the, was a baby at that time. Mm. So um, she was 29 years old. And one account says that she she herself said that she never ran away. She didn't think that was dignified. So she walked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and even then she seems like quite a little spitfire. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she was, she was still very young, only 29 approximately when she escaped to freedom. And her son was sold illegally shortly after her escape, likely just to try to bring her back. So he was sold illegally to a southern state, Alabama. Mm. And she took the case to court. Mm. So at this time, she is in her 30s, living in another city in New York um, with a preacher's family. They took her in. And no one really knows how they got connected, but some ways she was able to receive help or find help. And they helped her, I guess, procure a lawyer. And she took the case to court and she won. <laughs> so she was the first uh, woman, well, black woman, I should say, to um, to win a court case against a white uh, male slaveholder. I mean, come on. What is she? Who is this woman? I don't. She- it's, it's unheard of for a woman, period. Right. White or otherwise. Right. And this to... is her former master. What? Which world? is crazy to me. Anyways. She's um, amazing. So her child was brought back from Alabama and they were reunited, all of her children. Um, and at this point, New York had abolished slavery. However, her children, with the way the laws um, were passed, they were no longer slaves, but they were indentured servants until mm-hmm. the age of 20. Um, so she was, she worked and also got donations from the family that she was living with to buy their freedom, essentially. Wow. Um, so she was reunited with all of her children. And of course, all of these experiences shaped her, uh, molded her mm-hmm. into someone who was very strong, very God. motivated. I mean, obviously, let nothing stop her. I mean, she, she just uh, she was just determined. She did what she wanted to do. Exactly. <laughs> it's what she did. Which, I mean, is a trademark of all nurses, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so when we want something, oh. we we will make it happen. Oh, I mean, man. if our patient wants a pillow, we will find that pillow. We're gonna find a pillow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh goodness. I often joke that I will come find that doctor like in the <laughs> hospital if I'm not hearing back from them. Yeah. <laughs> I will hunt you down. I will find you. <laughs> exactly. I will get that order. Uh, but though, even though through all of this, um, Sojourner was still Isabella. So you, she hadn't changed mm-hmm. her name yet. Oh, so okay. what prompted this name change? Well, she, as I said, was a housekeeper for a preacher and his family. And apparently she was just very touched by their care for her, by her, by their, you know, care for her children. And then she was also seeking after God. Um, and she became, um, by all accounts, a very religious person. She started attending church. She even apparently, there's several accounts that she even apparently was a housekeeper for a preacher. Uh, Matthias is what he went by. And mm. he apparently turned out to be a cult leader oh. and had to move to the West under oh. mysterious circumstances. Uh. <laughs> So, so maybe this newfound religion seeking um, had its bumps in the road. It's okay. She's not perfect. She's exactly. got to prove that she's human. Exactly. This, otherwise, people would be going, "Who is she?" Exactly. So now they're like, "Oh no, she's human." It's okay. right. She is. Um, but June first, eighteen forty-three, she changed her name, um, and so in eighteen forty-three, she was approximately about forty-six years old. Still fairly young. Well, I say fairly young because at that time, people didn't even live that long. And, Mm. you know, this is someone who has already survived so much. So by our standards, of course, 46 is very young. But that day and age, no, it really wasn't actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So she felt compelled to change her name and she would share her story with people. And she said, the spirit calls me and I must go. So she felt like she was called by God. And um, I feel like that is something that sometimes – a lot of nurses relate to because mm, I do, I do too. Um, I've even had doctors tell me that nursing is a calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do actually feel well, it is a calling I and, too. and you really can't embark on this profession without some sort of sense of purpose mm-hmm. and especially purpose in helping others, yeah. making a difference in the lives of others. And that is what Sojourner aimed to do. So she felt like she lived a hard life, but she wanted to make sure that others did not. So she changed her name and she gave her life, devoted her life, I should say, to the abolition of slavery. And so she decided, I need to travel and speak about my experiences as a slave. Wow. So in 1850, she had a friend help her because remember, she's illiterate. Mm. Um, she still didn't know how to read and write. So her friend wrote down her memoirs and she published them um, in 1850 solely for the purpose of, of course, you know, according to her and historians, <laughs> um, for the purpose of supporting herself so that she could travel. Yeah. And, um, and her children at this point were grown. Um, her son had sadly disappeared at sea in 1842 um, and her daughter um, had married so you know she's on her own again and so she's traveling with um, she just goes to countless conventions with Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass I mean rubbing shoulders (laughs) yes Um, she even (laughs) met Abraham Lincoln can you imagine that it's so that's 
It's just, anyways, it is fascinating. And I'm sure you're wondering, okay, but when was she a nurse? Well, we're getting to that point because (laughs) she took on nursing later. (laughs) So, uh, of course, in 1860, the war between the states, the Civil War, um, broke out. And she decided to give herself to that cause because she felt it was very much a fight to free the slaves. Um, That was her view on it. And she um, recruited soldiers to join the Union, especially um, soldiers in the black communities where she lived. She felt like she needed to recruit them for the cause. Mm-hmm. And and so she uh, collected food for them, clothing for them. I mean, she was rallying the troops yeah, where she, she was lived. A worker. She just, I mean, she really was. And I mean, at this point, you know, she's in her 60s. So in 1865... So, you know, of course, the wars had been going on, um, but she's not forgotten her her fight for um, for not just emancipation of slaves, but equal rights mm-hmm. um, and women's rights. She's she like, was, I'm not stopping there. No, no. <laughs> she felt that men and women should be able to own property. Um, they should have the right to vote. Imagine that. I, I mean, just, that's just such a... What? What was she thinking? I know. Of course we shouldn't be owning property for crying out loud. No. We can't handle all that responsibility. Of course not. It's not like she raised her children by herself. And what would happen if we were all these women out here voting? Right. Using our brains? Heaven forbid. I mean, that's ridiculous. Shocking. Shocking. So please tell me she did not succeed. Well, uh, she did. She did more than than just talk about these things, because in 1865 she rode in a segregated streetcar. Girl, <laughs> so, I can't get over this woman. So, huh. um, I mean, maybe Rosa Parks was inspired by her. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd like to think that. Yeah. But she did. She rode in a streetcar for designated for whites only. And she just said, "Oh, I want to ride in it. I'm going to." Exactly. And unfortunately, she was injured because mm-hmm. um, it's unclear what happened, but. She somehow fell off of the streetcar. Mm. And so, of course, it is likely, more than likely, that someone or multiple people pushed her off. Um, So she was severely injured. And actually, they think that maybe those injuries caused her to become an invalid fairly quickly, more rapidly. Anyways, she still would not give up. She continued going around, talking about her experiences. Her book was, of course, a bestseller because... People were very interested in her experiences as a former slave. And during Reconstruction, this is amazing to me. She um, served as a nurse. So during Reconstruction, um, a lot of newly freed slaves um, fled to Washington because Mm -hmm. they felt unsafe. Uh, And they honestly, I mean, they had nowhere to go. I mean, yes, they were free, but they had been living on their master's land or Mm -hmm. um, anyways, of course, people... We're just in an uproar about everything that had happened and so quickly. There was just no resources for them. There were nowhere for them to go. So they fled to Washington because they felt like they'd be safe there. And so she started organizing a community service outreach for them, um, bringing them food, organizing shelter, gathering clothing, serving as a nurse. I mean, she was in, at this point in her like late 60s, early 70s, had suffered an injury and still felt like she needed to give back to her community. She just didn't stop. No. (laughs) I feel like I just hear her story. I heard her story and I just was blown away because 
I hope that I have that kind of energy. I hope I just have a smidgen <laughs> of that. Right? I mean, I hope that <sighs> I can say I'm, you know, 70 and I'm still a nurse working at beds, maybe not at bedside, but still, yeah. you know, bettering my community. Trying to make a difference in people's lives. Right. She could have earlier, early on in her life, it sounds like she had some people behind her that were, were helping her. And right. she, she reached a point where, you know, she because of fighting and going and going to court and, and having some things go her way where she could have settled in sure she could have you know settled maybe had a house or mm-hmm. with her child lived with her children yeah had just remained with that life. family and sure probably could have been comfortable right it sounds like she didn't se- she she didn't settle for comfort she no. kept wanting to push herself and always wanted no. to help people she just wasn't satisfied unless she was helping somebody right and I, anyways, she championed even, okay, so community health, of course, and women's rights, universal suffrage. She devoted the last years of her life to prison reform. Wow. At this point, she has settled in Michigan. Um, that's where she lived out her last few years. She died in 1883, um, November 26, 1883. Many people estimate she was around 80 years old or 85, maybe. Although she did always tell people that she was close to 100 or over 100. <laughs> uh, she liked to advertise in her in, uh, during conventions that this was the only 100-year-old speaker they'd ever hear. <laughs> so, no, she, of course, didn't know her age, and mm-hmm. no one really knows her age well, um, by the estimates of, you know, her children. and She probably felt like records. she was 100 with all the stuff she right? <laughs> uh, she She certainly crammed 100 years worth she of living did. into her life, for sure. <laughs> Anyways, she really felt like she had a calling from God to help others and that she could not rest until she had made an impact in the world. Good and as but a she nurse, did that, and then she still wasn't resting. No, she would no. just make an impact. She just, well, one more. Right. Make another impact. Mm, how about another one? Right. So, how about 50 <laughs> impacts? And what's so interesting to me is she she did so on a local and national level. And most people would think, okay, you know, we're involved in our nurse council, mm-hmm. you know, so we have a little bit of shared governance on mm-hmm. our unit and different decisions that are made. But I feel like if we made it to some, you know, like the state legislature and we had a way to express our ideas or mm-hmm. or even especially the national level. Right. You would think, okay, you know, I've made a difference. I've done it. We've, we've, we've done what we could. Deed. Right. I can move on now. Exactly. The rest even, of my laurels. <laughs> but even <laughs> after that... When she re- supposedly retired and moved to Michigan to settle down with, she lived with her two daughters at that point. Mm-hmm. She still felt like it wasn't enough, and she continued to advocate for prison reform in her local um, state and community. Man. So apparently, her funeral was attended by thousands oh, of I people, and of course, her life continues to have impact on us today. It continues to inspire mm-hmm. people. Um, nursing wasn't the focus of her life, um, but it certainly um, was a part of it. Oh, and I love that story. I just think she deserves to have her story told for I, generations I and generations forever so too, and ever. And because ever. as nurses, we're so much more than just healthcare professionals. We advocate for our patients. Sometimes we're involved in legal proceedings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. We're just there um, to comfort family and friends. Mm-hmm. We have an impact that reaches 
probably farther than we realize. And maybe, of course, we're not going to be Sojourner Truth, quit our jobs and go tour the country (laughs) (laughs) lecturing to people about (laughs) women's rights or um, whatnot, but we definitely are a voice for Mm. the voiceless. And and I think that's what Sojourner felt um, was her calling to be that voice. So it just is a wonderful story and I'm I was honored to share it to learn more about her even because I really I mean all I knew about her was that she was an abolitionist mm-hmm. and had worked to abolish slavery yeah that's all I knew but I didn't know that she was so involved um, in so many projects and for so many different kinds of people so and apparently her last words were be a follower of the Lord Jesus oh so she really felt this was her her um, God-given calling. And she, I have to say, at least from my standpoint, certainly fulfilled that. (laughs) Yes. Um, Definitely making a lasting impact. I mean, here we are hundreds of years later talking about her talking about her so she definitely deserves to to be talked about to be celebrated i don't know because like you said i didn't really know all of that stuff about her i don't feel like she is celebrated enough so i'm really glad that you told that story and and that now Mm. that i know all of this about her i didn't even know she was a nurse I didn't that she either. She served as a nurse. And it sounded like she was just a servant. Right. She was a servant leader. And the thing is, exactly, servant leader, which mm-hmm. is such a hot topic for us yeah. <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> um, but again, a caveat to that. Not all sources said that she was a nurse. Oh, really? Right. So I don't I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if someone in the audience could clarify that for us. Let's make her an honorary nurse. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's make her an honorary nurse. And and I have to tell you, Tina, I mean, there is some crazy off-the-wall stories. I mean, she was not a popular woman. People harassed her. Of course. I mean... She wasn't afraid of them. No, she like. was not. <laughs> she was not afraid. I mean, apparently one time, this is an alleged story, of course, a heckler in the audience of one of her, um, at one of the conventions, even questioned whether or not she was a woman. And uh, what? I know. I don't really understand the context. It was just like a little short story uh, that I re- happened mm-hmm. upon. But I guess because supposedly after the Ain't I a Woman speech, he was like, well, are you even a woman or something? I don't, I don't really know exactly. What does that mean? I, I don't know. But this woman, <laughs> she said, or I think, sorry, I think the Ain't I a Woman speech was in response to that. Oh. Does that make sense? Okay, I, I thought okay. that makes stuff. I apologize. I see what you're saying. Right. So sh- that was her kind of shutting him down and saying, you know, yes, I am. And this is why you need to pay attention. Um, and another time, someone asked her what something like what women's rights had to do with God or something like that because mm-hmm. they knew she was so religious. Mm-hmm. And she, she responded with, well, where did Christ come from? Oh. <laughs> Did he not? Was he not born of a woman? She was so and wise. I know, and and of course, uh, if you're a Christian, then um, the Bible says that um, Jesus came from a virgin and God. So, so she she literally is quoted as saying, "Man had nothing to do with oh, that." <laughs> she just put him so, right back in his place. Yeah, so she did. So she was a very brilliant, brilliant person mm-hmm. with a huge capability, and certainly did not let anything stop her from uh, making an impact. Well, I think we can all learn a lot, lots of lessons from her to be persistent and to, to not be afraid to, to step out there when you see something that's wrong. Right. To advocate for people. Right. And I think also that we do have the power to have impact. I mean, here is someone who started her life 
in slavery. In slavery. And, and she uh, impacted so many people. Exactly. So <laughs> I don't have an excuse Nobody anymore. has an excuse no one does. anymore. After hearing that story, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm glad you did tell that because now <laughs> you have taken away literally every excuse I have. <sighs> Thanks, Christina. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> but thank you, Sojourner Truth. <laughs> You are making me so tired, Sojourner. I'm exhausted now. Oh. Uh, but if anyone else knows any um, stories or any other further details of her life, please feel free to jump let on us the know. Facebook page. We have we're on Facebook, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse um, podcast. I can never remember what it's called, but just if you go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Facebook, it's on there. And then you know, follow us on Facebook, and you can what you know what I keep thinking I'm going to do this. We're still trying to get this whole podcast up, uh, kind of like up and going. So some, what I would like to do is start putting some pictures, posting pictures about the specific stories. So oh, I'm going to try to do fun. that. Put like a picture of Sojourner Truth on yes. there. Put maybe a picture of Cindy James. Um, maybe a picture of the rattlesnake. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Tina, we don't want to scare people I know. away. This thing is so creepy. <laughs> But maybe, and then you can go and comment on that. Let us know what you thought of the stories and let us know if you have any ideas, any any additions to the stories that we told. If you know anything else about Sojourner Truth or any of the other stories that we told. We also are on Instagram and it's, I believe, GNBN Podcast. That's our Instagram. You can go um, on Instagram and uh, follow us on there. We're also on Twitter at GNBN Podcast. And, um, so, and then you can also email us at Sam and Tina at goodnursebadnursepodcast.com. You can send us an email. If you have any stories that you'd like us to read, we can do that. We've talked about doing that. Maybe we could do that instead of doing like at the end, the nurse segment, at the beginning, we could maybe read some funny, funny stories, interesting stories. If you, you know, like, it's like Sam says, you know, if you got your own stories, we won't, we won't out you. We won't, <laughs> you can just remain anonymous. But just let us know. And I can tell you that I am so excited. I'm, I can see like the all of the different people. We're almost to, up to a thousand downloads. Wow. I mean, to me, that's huge because it hasn't even, we haven't even been up for a complete month technically. And we have listeners, people who have downloaded the episodes from every state except I think maybe five or six. Wow. That is so awesome. So that's that's awesome. Obviously, there's um, a lot from the United States, but there's also uh, all across the world people. There's many people from Canada. Wow, are listening, and then there's people from Ireland, someone from the Bahamas, Saudi Arabia, no. Korea, South Korea. Oh my goodness! Yes, the United Kingdom. Wow, Australia, which I, I have really good friend of mine from Australia. I know who she's representing Australia real well because I can see her <laughs> downloading. But if you are um, listening from wherever you're listening, go on to Facebook and let us know where are you listening from. Just type. You can just type in your state or your country or whatever, and just let us know. I would just love to know who you are and if you have anything. Maybe to add. we could even. Um, Try to do some stories on international. Oh, I'd love nursing it. Nursing and perspectives. Oh man, yes, that would be so if, fascinating. Tell us your ideas. I, that's please, a great idea, Christina. Please do because I have several friends in Europe who, well, they were in um, a midwifery program, 
And <laughs> Sam totally so made fun of me for were, saying it like that. Like, really? Is it midwifery? I called it midwifery, and she was like, I, girl, I say midwifery. <laughs> well, I've always heard it midwifery, but I, of course I could be wrong. I, I said the same thing. But anyway, there's just a lot of differences that were just so fascinating hmm. to me, even because, of course, different views on health and wellness. Really? And, uh, and of course... As I'm sure international friends and listeners know, the United States needs all the help we can get. <laughs> we certainly do. So we please, appreciate you. please give us your ideas. Um, anything your you'd like us to research, maybe, um, that would be awesome. Let us know who you are. Let us know your ideas. We so appreciate you listening. I, you just have no idea. It warms my heart when I see that. It feels great to just be able to do this, to entertain people. Sometimes people will post and say, this is so entertaining. You guys are, there was a a particular uh, girl that put a post on Instagram. I I think she's maybe the first person that's ever posted anything. And she put us on her and I I don't, I'm not going to say her name. I don't even know if I would, could even tell what her name (laughs) is, but I wouldn't do that. But she put us on her story. And I was just like, that, I felt, it just, it just warmed my heart. It's like, that makes me feel so good. Tina, when I first started listening to the podcast, of course, I never imagined that you would ask me to be a guest on the podcast. (laughs) So I'm, I'm kind of fanning out right now. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) But, but, um, I have to say, I think maybe because you, you and Sam are nurses and are more experienced nurses for sure. I just found myself talking along, you know, during the podcast, like, that's right. Or (laughs) no, like, why would they do that? Or anyways. And then I can't tell you how many times I've laughed out loud (laughs) (laughs) while I'm listening. So thank you for sharing all these stories with us. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for being here and sitting in for Sam so she can get her master's degree. Go Sam. Go Sam. Yay. Yay. And then we always end the podcast, Christina. <laughs> it makes me so nervous at the end. I'm just like, hey, going to do it, right? We're going to do it. Do you know it? I don't know. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I know how to start it. Okay. I, I, I know it. All right. So let's do it. Ready? Okay. Even if you're a bad, bad girl, girl, be, be a, a good, good nurse. nurse. Yes. We did it. Oh, man.